0: This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.
1: Matthew chapter 10. Notice what Jesus said to His disciples. Notice in verse 16. He said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. For they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake and for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. He said, but don't worry, I'll give you something to say when you're there. Now, why didn't Jesus say, now when you go into the cities, turn the other cheek? Why didn't he say, now remember, the law of love is you're to be a doormat every place you go. Why didn't he say that? No, he said, realize that you're going out into a world of evil people. That's why you're going to have to be harmless as doves. There's the love of God. Be harmless, but don't be stupid. Be wise. Know how they operate. Folks, if you steal money from me, I can forgive you for stealing, but it would be stupid for me to leave my money sitting around in front of you. Why? Here's the deal. If you come to me and you say, Pastor Mike, I took something from you and I was so wrong. I'm so sorry. I want to make it right. That reconciliation can be made. That acknowledgement of the wrongdoing can bring something that can be a strength for our relationship, your relationship with God and our relationship together. Right? But if you steal something from me and never acknowledge it or act like it never happened or deny it or whatsoever, wouldn't I be a fool to put you in a position where you could do it again? But see, you guys, so many Christians that are thinking this love that means forgive and forget so that they put themselves in the same situation over and over and over and over again. That's crazy. It's absolutely nuts. Look at Paul. Paul spoke of the Jews. Remember, the Jews were the ones that caused him all the problem in his ministry. They're the ones that are stirring up riots against him. Paul wrote to the, to the, uh, to the Romans that if it were possible, I'd give up my salvation for the Jews to be saved, for all of Israel to be saved right? What's he saying? He's saying, I know that these people are doing this out of ignorance. I know that they don't really know what they're doing. They're doing the same thing that I did. Paul did it himself. He spoke in uh, Acts chapter 26, and even told Timothy about it. He said, I did a lot of things that were contrary to the, to the law of, of God. I did a lot of things that are contrary to Jesus. I persecuted Christians. I, I caused them to blaspheme. I put so much pressure on them that I made them deny Jesus. Paul said he did that. He said, I put a lot of them in prison. He said, I beat some of them. I was responsible for the death of other Christians. But I did these things in ignorance. I thought I was doing things helping God out because I thought these Christians were contrary to or against the law of Moses, which was still in effect. I didn't know any better. Well, Paul understands that if somebody's doing something that they don't know any better about, they're worthy of forgiveness. That's why Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. That's why Stephen said as he was being stoned, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Why? Because he said they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand what they're doing. They're operating in ignorance. They think they're doing something good. They think they're pleasing you. So don't count this against them. But the people that do wrong and know they do wrong, like Alexander and Hymenaeus, Paul had a different attitude toward them, didn't he? Of course he did. There was, uh, I've got a friend that was uh well how much of the story do I want to tell you um he was uh, he was visiting another church he was there at the uh, um well he had an appointment with the pastor of the church and the the pastor of this church preaches this this um well he preaches the grace message but i mean it's it, that's all he preaches he just preaches the grace of god and and uh, um and and well, I don't know how to explain it any other way than that. But anyway, while this guy was there, he had an appointment with him, and, and he was going to be there for a couple of days. And while he was there, he found out about a situation that had occurred sometime before. One of the assistant pastors in the church, uh, he, he and his family had a home somewhere in, in town, and this home had been burglarized. And apparently they would ransacked the home, taking a lot of stuff. Well, while my friend, my pastor or minister friend, was there in town, on his appointment this thief was found somehow or another the police found out about who he was and and uh, he had the stuff and and so forth it created a huge problem in the church because a lot of the church is saying well the grace of god would just forgive this guy the grace of god would just say well we forgive you brother but the assistant pastor he wanted to press charges he said wait a minute this guy took my stuff this guy invaded my home Thank God my family wasn't there. But what could have happened if my if my wife and my kids had been there? I want to prosecute this guy. It created a huge problem in the church. Because you've got so many people now that have this idea that the love of God just looks the other way and never takes into account anything that takes place or any, any harm that's ever done. Folks, that's not the way God operates. Whose sins does God forget? The ones that make Jesus the Lord of their lives. But remember, very specifically, that at the end of the age, at what's called the great white throne judgment, God remembers everybody's sins who rejected Jesus. He forgives and forgets for those who accept Jesus as the Lord. Not for everybody. Well, I thought God never changes. He doesn't. And what does that tell us? It tells us the love of God is available to forgive and overlook or forget those who recognize and acknowledge their sin. Acknowledge their wrongdoing. That's why the Bible says over and over again, if somebody's done you wrong, go to them privately. Work it out individually. Because if you can, if you can work it out individually, it can become something that's a strength. It can strengthen the relationship. And you can restore each other back to where you were before, before somebody's feelings got hurt or whatever the case was. But if they won't hear you, what happens? See, sin always has to be acknowledged. When you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you're acknowledging your need for a Savior. And the refusal to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior means you're saying, I don't need anybody to take it from me. I can do it myself. Now, does the world know that's what they're doing when they reject Jesus? For the most part, I don't think they do. But that's exactly what they're doing. They're saying, I don't need Jesus to pay or wipe out my debts the debt of sin, I'll take care of it myself. So guess what happens? At the end of the age, they get to. And the result of that is they wind up spending eternity in hell. And that's where the church and, and and well, a lot of the church and some of the world too, says, well, I don't understand how a loving God could send somebody to hell. God doesn't send you to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. He honors your decision and your choice to go. Yeah, but that's not fair. Yeah, it is, because it's based on your decision. So many times people say, well, the consequences, though, don't match up. That's why it's important to make good choices, because a lot of times the consequences don't match in the sense of fairness that the world seems to be stuck with. The world seems to have the idea that everybody's supposed to have the same outcome. Folks, that's never the case. God didn't give us all equal gifts. He gave you better gifts than he gave me in some regards. He may have given you gifts that will make you more money in life than he gave me. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean God likes you better than me? Well, he better not. I'll change my preaching if that's the case. What does it mean? It means we have different gifts. We have different abilities. We have different calls in life. And the world will recognize things in a different way. You can't tell me that it's fair that Hollywood actors make more than, than school teachers. How's that fair? You don't see anybody complaining about that though, do you? No, it's all the evil bankers and it's all the, the people that are in business for themselves and all that kind of stuff. It's all the evil businessmen. Well, what about the Hollywood crowd? You telling me they earn their money? Seriously? Now, it's the world's sense of fairness. It's the devil that runs this idea of fairness. The reality is there's a consequence for the choices we make. That's why it's important for us to make good choices. Amen? Okay, let's look at, uh, look with me over to to, um, 1 John chapter 4. Notice in verse 18 it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. He that it feareth is not made perfect in love. I think we've talked about this before. We may have mentioned it at least. This word torment means punishment. And notice what he said. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with punishment. Now when we forgive, we're choosing to relinquish our right to punish somebody. We choose to relinquish our right to punish the other person, the person that's done us wrong. But how far does that forgiveness go? Can we forget the things that others have done wrong, done us wrong? Well, again, as we said, if somebody, if we go to them or they come to us and reconciliation is made and we apologize to each other, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that to you. I, I realized later how that came across and I'm so sorry. Then it's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that. But if somebody takes a position that it doesn't matter what I've done to you, then you can write it down. They're going to do it again. Well, then should we open ourselves up for that to happen again and again and again? Well, it's going to happen again and again, but we should protect ourselves to some degree. Don't you think? Isn't that being wise as serpents, even though we're harmless as doves? Turn back with me to First Corinthians chapter 13. I think I mentioned to you earlier we'd get over there. Let's look at that now. How do we deal with things like that? How are we supposed to go? How far are we supposed to go? The last thing I want to happen is for somebody to leave the church this morning and say, Well, thank God Pastor Mike preached on that this morning because I haven't wanted to forget this wrong that was done to me all, all this time. Now I've got an excuse. He said so. That's not what I'm after. Notice what the Bible says. Let's start in verse uh, 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, or, um, chapter 13, beginning in verse 4. It says, charity or love suffers long and is kind. Charity or love envies not. Charity vaunts not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Charity or love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there shall be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there will be knowledge, it shall pass away. Now, I like the Amplified about this on these verses of Scripture. Let me read this real quickly, but I do want to come back to the King James. Let me read this from the Amplified. Verse 4, love endures long and is patient and kind. A lot of people endure long because they have to, but they're not patient and kind in the process. But love is patient and kind and endures long. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. Verse 5, it is not conceited, arrogant, or inflated with pride. It is not rude or unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly. Love, that is God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Now, folks, that phrase right there is the thermometer for love. You want to know how successful you are in walking in love? This is it. Let me read it to you again. Love takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Verse 6, love does not rejoice in injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevails. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are faithless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. It says love endures everything, but it doesn't say that love puts up with everything that comes along down the road. I mean, let's look at the story of Joseph. We see that the Old Testament story of Joseph is a type of Jesus' forgiveness of us. Joseph proved his brothers before he forgave them. When his brothers came to him, Joseph was made prime minister of Egypt. When his brothers came to him and didn't know who he was, he proved them three different times. To see what their attitude was. Are these the same guys that sold me into slavery or have they changed? And once he saw that they had changed, once they had had remorse over the fact that they had sold Joseph into slavery, once they had remorse over what was going to happen with their youngest brother, Benjamin, and how that would affect their father, Joseph saw that their hearts were different. And then he said, don't be mad at yourselves about this. God had a hand in it to bring me uh, into a place where I could deliver you and my family. But he proved them first. Did he forget it? No. Nope. Not until after he proved them. Then some 17 years later after he was reconciled with his family, when the father dies, the brothers are still unsure. The brothers are still afraid. They come to Joseph and say, here's what daddy said. He said he wanted you to make sure that we got back home safe. Well, Joseph knows that wasn't the case. Joseph knows that if, if his father had wanted that, his father would have told him. He knew they were just being afraid of him. So he said, You don't have to be afraid of me. I've already forgiven you. Now forgive yourselves. But he proved them first. Notice in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says uh, the last phrase, it says, Love thinketh no evil. Thinketh no evil. You know what this word thinketh is? This word thinketh is the same word reckon. Over in Romans chapter 4, 11 times in Romans chapter 4, and over in Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19. It reckons no evil. In other words, it doesn't hold an account of the things done wrong to it. Now, how do we stop that? How do we let things go? And let's talk about the other side. Just like how uh, Joseph's brothers had trouble forgiving themselves. You know, I found that sometimes forgiving myself is harder than forgiving the other guy. Because I look at myself and say, I knew better. I know the word. I knew better. And still I chose to do the wrong thing. How can God forgive me? I've seen this even in situations of healing. I've seen situations where people wouldn't forgive themselves and therefore they didn't feel like they were worthy of receiving God's healing power. But as soon as they came to the place where they let their own sins go in their own minds, and their own thinking. In other words, when they kept from keeping an account of what they had done wrong, then the healing power of God came. See, folks, if unforgiveness is the number one hindrance to faith working, that does not just mean unforgiveness toward the other guy. That can mean unforgiveness in your own life towards yourself.
0: Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing School is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing.
1: Faith begins where the will of God is known. Here's why the Word of God is the power of God, because it reveals God's will. When you can find God's Word on a subject, whether it's healing, whether it's finances, whether it's peace, whatever area you have need of, you find what God's Word says, you've just found God's will in that area. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway, And Lake Forest Drive,
0: just minutes off the 5 freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikewebb.tv.
1: James chapter 3. Notice beginning in verse 5. Back up to verse 2. For in many things we offend all. Now we're talking about avoiding offenses. We usually think of avoiding offenses and, and offenses in the sense that other people do us wrong. But it could be anything. It could be us wronging God. That's an offense too, isn't it? For in many things we offend all, if any man offend not in word. The same is a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor or the, the captain listeth wherever he turns it, in other words. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Please notice this phrase. It's a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. Another translation says, sets the course of your whole life on fire. You know one of the greatest ways to overcome and forgive and forget the things that you need to forget? Quit having these imaginary conversations where you vindicate yourself in front of the other person. You didn't know the rest of us did that, did you? We all do that. We have these conversations. Sometimes if we're alone, we'll have them out loud. Other times we'll just have them in our own minds. And what we're doing is we're always giving somebody what for. Have you ever noticed how so many people think that if they can just get something off their chest, it'll make it better? But it never does. Instead of getting it off their chest, it intensifies it. Because once your tongue gets involved, then it increases and sets things on fire. It can make something go from your head to becoming a part of your spirit. Listen, folks, your tongue is not important just to receive the things of God and the operation of faith. Your tongue is important because everything you say is a spiritual law that will come to pass. So if you speak, if you start having these imaginary conversations where you tell your boss what for, or you let your wife or your husband know how things really are, or if you tell your next-door neighbor or whoever it was that did you wrong, you really set them straight. What you're doing is you're setting a fire within your own spirit. Now, some people think this is therapeutic. Some people think it's therapeutic to have these conversations. Well, we'd never say that to them. We're just saying it to ourselves. But what it does is it starts to cause a root of bitterness on the inside. The fact is simply this. You cannot forget something that you keep talking about. You can't do it. Even if you're just talking about it to yourself, you can't forget it if you keep talking it. I can't tell you how many people I have straightened out. It never helps. Never does anything except creates a problem for me. Then I have to go back and now I've got a bigger problem to forgive than I did before I had my say. And if you ever noticed how the devil will make you imagine things about other people, things that haven't even happened, and then you'll go through your minds about what you would do and how you would handle it if it ever happened, and it never does happen. So what does it do? It just stirs up passions on the inside of you that makes you look at those people with a with a suspicious look. It's the way the devil tries to stir up trouble. It's exactly the way the devil operates. Second. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse, no, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11. Paul talked about not being ignorant of Satan's devices. The context that he's talking about is, receive the guy that we turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh in the first letter. Receive him because he's repented. Don't keep holding something against him because that unforgiveness is the way that the devil works and we don't want to be ignorant of Satan's devices. So you need to realize the devil's trying to control your tongue in anything and everything he can. Not only does he want you to speak contrary to the word about healing or forgiveness or or whatever is available to you, whatever blessing of God is available to you, he wants to get you speaking contrary to any characteristic that would bring you into blessing. Stop having these conversations with yourself. Cuz even if they're just imaginary conversations, you're imagining that your tongue is speaking and it has if it doesn't have at least the same effect it has some effect on you. I think it's worse when you speak it than if you just think it. But it still has the same same principle in operation. We've got to have stop having these conversations with ourselves. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to take care of something when it's small? If you just go to somebody, husbands and wives have this situation a lot. A lot of times what husbands and wives are arguing about could have been solved very simply in the beginning. But over time, it builds and builds and builds. And now they've got so many things spoken against each other and so many things imagined against each other and so forth that by the time they go to marriage counseling, man, it's a it's a giant pile that's almost impossible to unravel. why don't we take care of things when they're small? I think a lot of times we don't do it because we say, well, we don't want to cause trouble. We don't want to create a conflict. So what do we do? We have these imaginary conversations in our mind where we have conflict. And we always win. Have you ever lost one of those conversations in your mind? You always win. And boy, you slam them too. I mean, not only do you win, you let them know you won. And what does it do? It just stirs you up in the wrong way. The love of God thinketh no evil. The love of God doesn't hold something in somebody's account. That's not stupid. It doesn't bury its head in the sand and say, this never happened. But it seeks reconciliation. And if that reconciliation is possible, if that reconciliation is agreed to by both parties, it can become a strength rather than a weakness. It can become a, a landmark in a relationship to where now we're better than we were before rather than something that, that you look back at year after year after year as being a turning point for evil. I feel so sorry for people that force or at least try to. I don't know if you can really do it for own, for somebody else. But I feel so bad for people that try to force other people to live up to their standard or their idea of love when it's contrary to what the bible says i've seen parents do this with their kids i've seen um, i've seen family situations where there was a molestation issue where one parent is pushing the child now you need to forgive them you need to forgive that family member but the other family member the one that did wrong hasn't really repented hasn't really asked for forgiveness hasn't really tried to make things right and owned up to what they did. And as a result, it's something that just gets pushed off. Have you ever heard people take the position that, well, look, I, I messed up, but what else can I say? Said I was sorry, let's move on. Well, that's a real comfort, isn't it? That's a real comfort. How can you trust somebody that, 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 uh, minimizes the thing that they did that hurt the person, the first person? How can you, how can you forget that? How can you overlook that? You can't. Sin always has to be acknowledged, folks. It always has to be acknowledged. That's what's so damaging and and uh, and troublesome to me about the teaching in the body of Christ that First John one nine doesn't belong to the church. Of course, it belongs to the church because sin has to be acknowledged. If we confess our sin, if we miss it and confess our sin, if we acknowledge our sin, it doesn't mean you have to wallow in it. But if we confess or acknowledge our sin, then God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that unrighteous action. Our nature hadn't changed. Our nature didn't change when we committed the sin, but he cleanses us from that unrighteous action when we acknowledge it. It's the only way that we can maintain fellowship. Sin has to be acknowledged to maintain fellowship. You ever been able to maintain fellowship with anybody that that will deny that they ever did anything wrong to you? It's impossible because you don't trust them. You may feel guilty and think that you're supposed to, but you can't trust them. Well, you're not even supposed to. You're supposed to be smart enough to see things for the way they are. I love the example the Holy Ghost gave us about Paul. He didn't forget everything that was done wrong to him. But he made the distinction. He was able to, to to make the distinction between those who didn't know better and therefore were worthy of God's mercy, and those who did what they did with their eyes wide open because they were resisting God and not just coming against Him. Well, if Paul did that, and he said before the Jewish council, "I have lived my life in all good conscience before God until this day," that's Acts twenty three one. If Paul was able to live in good conscience with that manner or that example of life shouldn't that give us a good conscience too? Absolutely. Thank God He's forgiven us and thank God He's forgotten our sins. And as long as we maintain that right attitude yeah okay Lord we may miss it we may stumble and fall here and there but whenever we do you know it was a mistake of the flesh and not of our heart and therefore we'll acknowledge it quickly and ask forgiveness and repent immediately. As long as we do that, we can stay in fellowship with God all the days of our lives. Paul said that the one thing that he did about his past was that he forgot it. One thing about walking in forgiveness is that as you let the love of God dominate you, it allows you to live in such a way that the things that happen to you seem like they happen to somebody else instead of you. Thanks for tuning in today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is
0: Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb.
1: You're looking at the problems in your body or the problems in your finances. What do you see? So many people are waiting for God to do something on their behalf. And They've got the life of God in them all the time. How much more abundant does the life of God that caused you to be born again have to be for your situation to change?
0: Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6.00 p.m. Or Wednesdays at 7.00 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word